go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the Word of God tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we look at a portion of your Word again this evening and consider the truths of your Word, we pray that whether it is the person who's bringing this Word or whether it's we as recipients of it, that you might be exalted that your spirit may be at work so that we would respond as we should, both in this hour and in all the hours that you give us unto your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 4 tonight, 23 to 31 there. And we're also going to be looking at the Belgian Confession again tonight. We're looking at Article 13, that's talking about the providence of God and His government of all things. We look at that, that subject in the light of God's Word, as we ought to always do. And as we do that, we should be able to hear good news about God's providence again tonight. May it be humbling to us, consoling, and may it also embolden us as we're called to serve our God and His sovereign and saving ways. So we look at Acts chapter 4. This is right after Peter and John were before the council, the Jewish council. And we're starting at verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our spirit, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If you'd like to follow along, having read from the Word of God and followed along there, if you want to follow along in uh, the Belgian Confession, Article 13, page 75, is where you can go in the Psalter Kimnal. And we're going to read about this, the uh, providence of God and His government of all things. <clears throat> page 75. Uh, we believe that the same good God, after He had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. 
Nevertheless, God neither is the author of, nor can be charged with, the sins which are committed. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to what he does, surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther than our capacity will admit of. But, with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father who watches over us with a paternal care keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust, being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. And therefore we reject that damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God regards nothing but leaves all things to chance. So we thank the Lord for his word that way tonight and pray that it may be a blessing to you, to us, and to God's praise. Heavenly uh, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm I'm of the persuasion that there are certain scriptural subjects as Christians that need to be staples on our spiritual plate, as it were. Sometimes as you think about going to the store, you think about things that you have to buy for your homes and grocery-wise, food-wise, and you say, well, I, we can't do without this or without the other thing, right? We can't do without butter, we can't milk, we can't do without flour, or we, there's just certainly these things that we consider staples for us, or the things that we would buy normally. We can't imagine ourselves going without those sort of things, and, and there's a lot to be said about the providence of God that way, and covering that ground from time to time. Right? It's, there's just certain things that way I even think pastorally over the years that I've said to myself, you know, these are things that I have to come back to. They aren't necessarily always things that are new in the sense of, uh, boy, we've never heard this before, but I need to hear these things again. Right? Now, it's true about matters of family life. We, we find that ourselves, we live in these circles in which we are, where we want to promote the family, we want to nurture our families, and, and we want to hear about how we ought to do that. And one way we say that there's nothing new about those things, but I need to be reminded of those things. I need to uh, walk back to those things and see them again. 
Those are staples to us in, uh, in our Christian walk. And it's certainly true about the providence of God. And it becomes something especially appropriate at a time where in our country we start to anticipate later on in the week, well, we're anticipating it now, but we're anticipating a celebration of Thanksgiving that so oftentimes is associated with the providence of God. Uh, so I thought that on this last Sunday service before we celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, that a sermon on providence would be in order, and, and of course it happens to be by God's providence uh, that we are at that point, as we're looking at our series on the Belgian Confession as well, we're looking at providence tonight. So tonight we're considering this passage that dwells on prayer and providence, and as we do that, as uh, confession brings to our attention as well, uh, it is a news, it is a subject, as providence is, that's, that can humble, should humble the Christian, should humble us all in Christ, it should console us, and it can also embolden us, uh, as it did uh, the Christians back in the days of Acts. First of all, we want to see that it's a humbling thing to consider the providence of God. Whether you're looking at the first few words out of the cat, uh, out of the confession, or even more importantly, what we're hearing from the Word of God, you see that humble approach that's being taken. Creation, providence, and prayer—they're all touched in this passage, and they're all touched in humility. A spirit of humility. The prayer is a humble one. And its reflection on God's creation mirrors that spirit. Lord, you're God. Not me. You're the one who made everything. Not me. You're the one who spoke by the mouth of your servant David. Matters of utmost prominence in the about the history of the world, and as this one who knows the end from the beginning, including the ways that the kings of the earth would take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And that's marvelous. The marvels of what God has done and what he knew would happen, and more so directed what would happen, they're not just the subject of praise, but... It's also the foundation on which the apostles here, uh, that's the foundation that they lay as they want to build on that foundation their request to the one, not who can do exceedingly less than all that we can ask or imagine, but the one who can do exceedingly more. Particular to our subject tonight, we focus on these words of prayer that, that certainly testify to us how marvelous God is in the creation, the upholding, and the governing of his world. His world. Heidelberg Catechism, as you recall, would, would aptly remind us that the providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and he so rules them so that all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand, all things. 
It's truly marvelous to dwell on that truth. We see that spirit coming from Acts 4. We hear that in the first uh, words that come forth from, from Acts, or from Article 13 in the Belgic Confession. They talk about the incomprehensibility, uh, the greatest humility and reverence by which we adore this one and his righteous judgments and and uh, contenting ourselves to be pupils of Christ, not trying to uh, surpass what we can understand about these things, not curiously inquiring into farther than our capacity will admit of. All of this speaks to humility. When I think about the things that I have to keep in order in my life, I'm humbled when I ponder on the ways that I fail at that task. Especially when I think about my calling to love the Lord, my God, with my all. And then I still find myself not always keeping order like I should in different things in my life. It's humbling to think about not only that, you know, where not everything is kept square, not everything's kept straight like I should. You forget things that you're supposed to say or say things you're not supposed to. It's also humbling to think about how many other people in my life on whom I have to rely to help me. I'm thankful to God for those people, for particular people and especially that I think of. But it's humbling to think about how many people in my life on whom I have to rely, on whom I have to depend, just so that my life will carry with it some measure of order. And yet, even that way, I, I, can, re, I, I can think of many ways in which I could be better and I could do better at that. But that's not a problem with God. You know, it's humbling when we think about the ways that, that we have to keep up in our finitude, in our weakness. But it's infinitely humbling when we think about the ways that the Lord upholds everything as with His hand. You know, when, you, when we think of all the things, you know, that's one of the things that's nice about the Lord's Day, isn't it? We have a chance to think about those things. Sometimes we're so busy during the week that it's in these, this restful day that we can actually take a moment and ponder anew what the Almighty can do. And when we think about all the things that He keeps in His hands, every particular situation, the, the end from the beginning, the foreknowledge that, that He has as the how the, everything's going to turn out. You know, we heard about that certainly this morning, you know, where we meant, made mention about how, isn't it a marvelous thing that we Christians really can be able to say, everything is going to be all right because God will make it so. The planets, the stars, they're all upheld by Him. We, we can marvel that, that none of us can live or move or have our being without Him. All things declare His glory. And, and whenever we see these things around us, 
and we consider how everything follows its courses as God so directs, uh, depending on Him, and He depending on no one else, it moves us to marvel. And how could we not take time to praise Him? But then if we get even a little bit closer in our mediating or meditating on God's providence and we concentrate on our own lives and we consider the ways and means he's worked in our own lives so that we might be supplied on both physical and spiritual planes, that's also quite amazing. And uh, I've probably spoken like this before to you. I know I've certainly spoken like this before in in times past. I mean, if you think about what's coming up, or maybe you've been celebrating in some of those ways already with Thanksgiving meals, but every time that you get around the table together, it's, it's a mo moment to marvel. We do it so much, right? We, well, maybe in this day and age we don't do as much as we should, but, but we should. <laughs> uh, but, but when we gather around the table and we look at what's out there in front of us, whatever that might be. We can never just say, you know what, this is just bread. Or, or this is just food. This is pretty mundane. Not Christians. Christians, Christians don't do that. Think, think about the work that had to be done by you to earn it. The strength God had to give you to work that earning out. But think about the ways in which that food had to be raised and and, of course, in these parts, you know that better than most, I would dare say, about what it takes to bring the food to the table. Because there are so many of you are the ones that are involved in that. But then you think about the seasons and how they've had to progress and, and the cycles of time that were needed for the food to be produced. And then the companies that, that process the food and ship the food and and others sell it and shelve it. And then you think about what it took to prepare the food in your home. There it is. Well, that didn't happen magically. Those who are preparing it didn't throw a wand around. They, they had to work at putting it together. And then there was the gas and the electricity and, and, and from where that all came. And what had to be supplied so that that electricity and that gas could come into our houses? And the ones who installed it, I mean, it goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, how does that all occur? Where's the source of all that? And it all happens because of one who not only creates everything, but he upholds and, and governs them by his hand so that these things will always work like that. Gas will always burn. Electricity will always charge. It deepens our appreciation and the meaning of life when we remember the Creator in the days of our youth and when we get older. We're called to acknowledge this in Christ and to do that with a thankful prayer. With awe, wonder. Because in certain respects, the ordinary isn't ordinary at all. 
And isn't that a marvelous thing about our God? And we can think about how that's true about our very existence. We live and we move and we have our being because of God. But, but, but think about what it takes for you to be in the position that you are right now. Again, this is something I've mentioned to people in the past. Um, maybe I mentioned it here, but I think it's worth reminding uh, to think about this. You know, if, if you were to take a moment, you go home and you do the math. You go back 20 generations in your family tree. 20 generations. Do you know how many people that covers? If you go back 20 generations, it covers a million people. A million people. And that's not a family tree. That's a family forest, isn't it? Right? You think about all those courtships you think about all that was going on in those lands from which you hailed or your ancestors came from. And you think about what happened in all those lives so that you could be where you are today. And not one part of that came by chance. But by the will of your Father in heaven. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. It's like when we look at the world and we say, well, isn't that, you know, aren't the Redwoods something? Or isn't the Great Salt Lake something? Or isn't the Grand Canyon something, right? Well, it, they are. And, and you can take these stats and say, oh, isn't that amazing? But only, it really doesn't, we don't see the depths of that marvel unless we see the God behind it. then we really marvel where we are. Not just in the creation, not just in the flow of time, but in the God who has all these things in his hand. And then if you get to thinking about spiritual gifts that have come your way, the gift of salvation, the ways in which God has worked his electing love into your life, if indeed you've made the good confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and thinking as believers that, that God and his electing love for us, before the foundation of the world, thinking about that is, is, a, is a wonderful thought. We can do that, but that's kind of where, too, we got to stay in our lane, don't we, a little bit? Because to get beyond that, it's just beyond us. But it's marvelous. And, and it's beyond tracing out to fathom the, the love of God for his people that way. It's amazing. It's amazing how the Spirit of God works in people's lives to change their lives to Christ, who takes us out of darkness into his light, who, who alone is the one whose love for his own is beyond measure. And how that happens is God the Son comes to earth to take on human flesh so that we can be known as children of God. Well, and, and all that in the fullness of time. Right when God wanted it to happen. And while we're called to believe such spiritual events because of what is impossible with man is possible with God, it is a most humbling thing to say that in those things that we may call ordinary and in those things 
that we may call extraordinary within the providence of God. We have so many reasons to acknowledge again that we're not the somebodies, but God truly is. He's truly great. He's greatly to be praised in our lives as we worship before Him, as we serve Him in all things, and walk humbly right before Him as those who belong to Him by the amazing providence of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it, it steers us back to the trails of humility. But it's not only providence, it's not only humbling, it's, it's consoling our Freshen states that too, that this doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation. It's consoling as we see what happens in the history of redemption, and, is, and that's certainly something we see in this passage. Because the church has undergone persecution by powerful forces. And, and not only to speak a word of admonition against them, but also to to punish them in different ways corporately. They're going to be beaten after all. The church has been threatened and certainly soon to be beaten, but the church had the broader perspective of God's providence to console them. It doesn't surprise them because they thought about Jesus himself in fulfillment of Holy Scripture. How he underwent conspiracy along with God the Father by the powers that be both religiously and civically, as Psalm 2 is quoted. Evil plots, the most evil of plots, conspiring against God and his Christ. That was the work of evil men. And they weren't just evil men who were the, the dregs of society. They were the most powerful. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Jewish leadership, Gentiles and Jews alike. The nation's rage and the people's plot vain things. Kings take their stands and rulers gather together against the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who, who ponder the evils of men against men, it can be very disconcerting. And when you think about spiritual forces beyond that, yet, yet that's, this is exactly what took place to the full when evil of all kinds and of every race, Jew and Gentile, conspired against God and Christ. And that event may not seem encouraging. Indeed, evil never is to be envied, encouraged, or taken lightly. But the beauty here is that God was able, and he is able, to take the evil and use that evil of evils in his glorious plans for his glorious ends. So that Psalm 2 would tell us that the sovereign God just laughs in heaven as evil tries to take him on. Who is man? And who is evil to take on the good and sovereign and great, gracious God? These people, remarkably, these evil people were gathered together to do, to do whatever God's hand and God's purpose determined before to be done. 
It's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's decree. And it's not that God is the author of evil. We don't confess that. But these evil plots of men are sovereignly determined by God. And throughout the history of redemption, we see how evil means things for evil, but God means them for good, for His glory, and for the good of His people. You know, some people want to create comfort out of thin air by saying that good things are determined by the decree of God, but not evil. But there isn't any comfort in that. Because then how does God control evil? Now, how much more consoling to know that everything is under his domain. So that we can hear the good news that, you know what, all things do work together for good for those who love God and are holy called according to his purpose. Now, that does that mean that things that happen aren't hurtful or tragic? Tornadoes, typhoons, hurricanes, acts of men against men, <clears throat> despicable things that people do. Of course, those things are heart-rending. And you don't have to go to big news items. You can turn to events in your own lives. But the consolation that we have in the struggles and tragedies and the heartbreaks that we face is that none of them are going to be able to separate us from the love of God when we're in Christ. They never happen without God's overall plans for us in mind. And when it's all said and done, God is going to bring vindication to His name, See to it that evil will not prevail and that we will know his eternal blessing. And why do we know that to be so? It's because if God could take the most evil act of history, the crucifixion of the Lord of glory, and work that to his glory and that of his son and that of his people, then he can do that with everything that comes our way. That's what the apostles noticed. Now we may be humble, even humiliated by people, but the road still leads to glory to those who find their hope in God and His Christ. We can also mention that this emboldens the church as well. This providence of God the apostles were encouraged to carry on with their service to the Lord. They prayed for that. Despite the power of men, but because of the power of God. Despite the power of men, but because of the power of God. And whether it is speaking of the word of the gospel with boldness to the world, or whatever it is that the Lord has called us to be or do, despite what others may be doing, despite how they may be reacting to us, despite what may be happening to us, well, we should find ourselves encouraged and emboldened to do what God wants us to do. To be faithful, to be obedient, loving, to be hopeful, to be Christ-like. Not because of what the power or the evil may do, not because, 
first of all, because everybody's going to appreciate that. But because of who is Lord over us? And Lord over them? And Lord and Savior over us? You know, it reminds me of what we said a few weeks ago when we were looking at 1 Corinthians 15, right? Why do you press forward? Why, why do what you do with zeal for the Lord, if it's for the Lord? You know, why do I persevere in my faith? Why is faith in Christ so important to keep, to pass on to our families, to a world? Why, why do I continue to see being a blessing and being kind and being gentle and being dependable and being strong, firm, and steadfast to be a good thing to do? And why should I be proud of my faith and and not ashamed of it. Even if people won't always appreciate it. And why should I be faithful to my callings at home and at school and at work and at church and before God and before people? Why should I not be ashamed of the gospel? Why shouldn't I just give up on others and give up on God? It's because I know that when I'm serving this God, this God of providence, this God of sovereignty, this good God, this saving God, I'm serving the only one, the only one, that's worth serving above everything else. The only one. The Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing, and no one will make that calling of mine empty and vain. Now plotting against God is Christ and turning your back on Him or making Him second place. Now that's empty. That's vain. But serving and trusting my Savior will never be that way. So as we look ahead to Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving weekend, Let's be encouraged to see again that there's always reason for thanks. And we know ourselves as children of the God of providence through our Lord Jesus Christ. May it humble us. May it console us. But may it also embolden us to a thankful service of our God. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we ponder your providence in Jesus Christ, it steers us in the path of humility. It also consoles us when we consider that vanity that comes from plotting against the Lord Jesus, that you'll work everything to the good of those who love you according to your purpose. And may it not only then console us, but may it encourage us. May we be courageous. And not drop our callings, not kick them aside, not think that serving Christ is a vain thing. Just the opposite. That serving our Christ and our God in Jesus Christ 
is the only worthwhile thing to do, but wow, how that covers so much for us. All that we are. All our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every moment, every place we find ourselves. We marvel, Lord, at your providence again tonight. May that show forth in song and in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.